Louise McSharry on 2FM. It is approaching 10.30. That means it's time for us to talk popular culture. And this week we are joined by writer and broadcaster Connor Bean. Hello, Connor. <laughs> I love that. What a great intro. And after such a banging tune, I was doing my like embarrassing shoulder shuffle here waiting to come on. I was like, oh, oh well, my God, I think you could see me now. It might actually be physically impossible to stay still when that song is on. That's just the rules. Fair. <laughs> I dance so much during this show, like so much. And I've never actually considered the fact that there are two people looking at me like ostensibly I'm sitting yes. in front of a big window I was just and, gonna say because yeah. you forget that the studio that you do your show and that I have used quite a bit as well like aside from the people who work on your show there's also a window to a yeah the corridor a in the radio window. center yeah. and I have had people from the orchestra security host some radio <laughs> one who'll be quite well known what by and I'm like giving a full Britney <laughs> Vegas fantasy I'm like mm, this is embarrassing <laughs> That is what I want to think that the people who are playing me music are feeling. That's how it should be, in my opinion. Um, true, true. Anyway, we have got so much to talk about. Um, yes. So let's get stuck in. We're going to start with Demi Lovato. I think this is a really interesting story. So explain what happened this week. Yes, it's an interesting story because it has a slight ridiculous element, but I feel like it's actually sort of, I don't know, a comment on how celebrities use social media. So anyway... Demi Lovato is known for being outspoken. In recent times, she's talked a lot about her battle with her eating disorder, um, you know, her struggles with addiction, all that kind of thing. This week, she took to Instagram to call out a small business, an LA yogurt shop called The Big Chill, over how it labelled food for people who have dietary restrictions. So she posted, like, just text-based Instagram stories where she said, finding it extremely hard to order Froyo from at the Big Chill official, which I was like, oh, she's tagging them. She means business. Mm -hmm. When you have to walk past tons of sugar-free cookies, other dive foods before you get to the counter. She later posted screenshots of her chats with the shop's account where she said the experience was triggering and awful. She said you can carry things for other people while also caring for another percentage of your customers who struggle daily just to even step foot in your store. You can find a way to provide an inviting environment for all people with different needs and use the hashtag diet culture vultures. Um, and I think people dug up like a photo of them selling treats a few years ago with the word guilt-free over it. So there was this sort of attempt to say this shop is insensitive. People who have eating disorders. And then there was some of a backlash from people saying, well, let's, that's fair. But also people who have allergies and autoimmune disease really appreciate knowing they can walk into a shop and that thing that they want to buy won't make them feel sick and they can be like their mates and just get a nice little treat or some froyo or whatever. So it... So the it, argument was yeah. that there are people who need to eat low sugar diets for not for any kind of weight or reason, but for various conditions that they have. And those foods need to be identified for them. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And also, I think like I can I saw a grain. I understood a grain of what Demi was saying about how I mean, oh, treat yourself. Oh, I'm being good. I shouldn't eat this. Like I understand her issue with that kind of chat around food, particularly yeah. if she has had such I mean, I know in her recent documentary she talks about how commentary around her weight after struggling with the eating disorder actually ended up with her relapsing around her addiction. So I understand this is kind of emotional for her. Yeah, well, like, think, there's she has that whole yeah. thing about how for, like, literally years, every year on her birthday, she'd have a watermelon cake, which is right. just slices of watermelon with right. uh, Cool Whip, uh, which is Cool Whip is, like, fake manufactured kind of cream. So it has, yeah. you know, very low calorie count or whatever. So she couldn't even allow herself to have cake on her birthday. Like... I can see the point that she's making, in my opinion, is a valid point that, you know, and I, I've said this over and over again, and we talked about it yesterday, literally with uh, Josh Walrich, Dr. Josh mm -hmm. Walrich, but like, 
you know, moralizing food and saying this food is good and this food is bad and you should feel guilty about eating this food and you yeah. shouldn't feel guilty about eating that food. And like a lot of the language that's used around food is really toxic for people with eating disorders and also kind of encourages disordered eating in some ways. So like that is a problem, but maybe like aiming at one small business and naming that business was not a great decision. Yeah. And also that's the, I think that is the thing that stood out to me about this is at the time she tagged the the shop in LA, they had about 6,000 Instagram followers. I think it went up a bit because maybe some people wanted to support them since. But like, I think if you tag, say, at maker of Cool Whip, for example, let's just, and I'm, there's nothing wrong with Cool Whip, but let's just say she yeah. had an issue with cat, locale food or brands. That's one thing because that's a company or a brand owned by a conglomerate. If you're going after a small business, you know, try, particularly in the last year when we know it's a cliche, but small businesses have had a particularly difficult time. Mm. It just feels like there's a real imbalance of power because Demi Lovato has over 100 million Instagram followers. Like it's, you know, we talk about, say, influencers here who have hundreds of thousands of followers and if they mention a business, good or bad, it has an impact. So if you have mm. 100 million and you blast out a shop to the entire world, it just feels like yeah. if you really had an issue, you could have DM'd or said, hey, at Big Chill, yeah. can you respond to my DM? I have some questions. Instead, she went straight to... I'm going to blast these people out. And it just felt very lacking in fairness or nuance, really. Yeah, well, it didn't go well for her because she was forced no. to apologize. Um, here is a little clip of her apology. And I'm passionate, so I'm sorry that I got the messaging wrong. I'm sorry that I may have disappointed some people, but I'm not coming after a small business as someone with a lot of followers. That's not what I'm doing here. I'm coming, I'm, I walked into a situation that didn't sit right with me. My intuition said, speak up about this. So I did. And I feel good about that. What I don't feel good about is some of the way that it's been interpreted and how the message has gotten misconstrued over all of it. That's interesting. Ooh. It's an apology, but it's <laughs> oh, not really nah. an apology. It's a real housewives apology, isn't it? It's very like, I'm sorry if you I'm feel I you said feel you did way. this. Yeah. <laughs> Jamie can do Bravo TV next. That can be her next journey. Um, Yeah, I just, I think it also, for me, it says a lot about kind of, quote unquote, like Instagram activism, where I fully think Demi has gone through an awful lot and her Mm. sharing her story has a real, like, potential to change people's lives. Mm. But also, sometimes people think if they go after this one particular entity and blast them online for a week, that it's going to affect this kind of social change. But it's like, you've just landed a small business in hot water and also you're not willing to see the gray area here or the understanding. Because even the fact that people were like, hey, like I've autoimmune, I need to be able to do X, Y. Like that immediately means there's a little more to it. So it's an important conversation in general, as you said, but God, like not the way to like do it, I don't think. Well, you know, it is tricky. And like, I don't have a hundred million Instagram followers. (laughs) Yeah. I have, you know, a few tens of thousands Instagram followers. And I have come up against issues like this where I've said something kind of casually and then someone has pointed out to me or I've seen other people do the same thing where I've said, I can't even think of a proper example. Well, I saw someone once talking about, you know, pre-cut veg and saying like, oh, can you not even cut it yourself? And then other people, 
people pointed out that well actually lots of people can't and you know for people with um you know with various disabilities it's very helpful for them to be able to access pre-cut veg and so you know what I've learned is that you really have to think things through and you really have to think about you know are you considering different people and different people's experiences and different people's needs that's part of the gig if you have a significant amount of followers Mm -hmm. because you have an impact on people I mean you do that's just there's no two ways about it okay let's move on Annie Mack is leaving BBC Radio 1 end of an era I know after 17 years with the BBC in general. So obviously at the moment she's hosting Future Sounds on six to eight on their schedule, which is like a new music show. She has the hottest record in the world. She gets amazing exclusives and interviews at like everyone from Lana Del Rey to Diplo and like even emerging artists as well, obviously. So she started in the BBC in 2002. She started hosting her first show there in 2004. She was also part of a show that I loved around that time called Switch with her and Nick Grimshaw. So she has been with the station for a very long time, she has championed, you know, new artists. She has become like a very successful DJ who tours the world, obviously not in the last while because of the global pandemic. Set up the Annie Mac Presents Festival's brand. She's releasing a novel, um, in, I think in a few weeks, actually, in yeah. May. So Yeah, she's going to be on career... the show talking about it. Looking forward to it. There you go. Plugity plug. She's coming <laughs> up soon. So she's leaving kind of the BBC radio presenting thing. And she really uh, released the news in a statement this week. Says she wants to focus on writing fiction like the forthcoming novel and podcasting, which she's doing at the moment as well. She said she saw this kind of as a time to leave when the party was still fun. Yeah, I actually have a clip of her. She went on air to talk to Greg James on the BBC Radio 1 mm-hmm. Breakfast Show and she's explaining that analogy here. So have a listen. I had a conversation with Sarah Cox about this and, and I gave her the party analogy. She's like, you want to leave the party while you're having the best time? She's like, Annie, you've never <laughs> left a party early in your life. You're always the last one there. And I was like, well, this party I'm going to leave with a smile on my face when it's still going on. But that, that is the case. Like, There's only good memories. There's only good vibes. Yeah. And there's a legitimate kind of reason as to why why I'm doing it now. I mean, there's loads of stuff going on, but my kids are, there's one in year three and my second kid is starting school in September. So for me, it's always been a kind of a point in my head when I'm going to want to be around in the evenings more. I've done the evening show for six years now. So my oldest kid only knows me not being there for bedtime and dinner time. And this time I want to be there. You know, I have to say, having done a similar hours yeah. when I did the the evening music show here on uh, what is our radio station two FM. <laughs> My brain just did not operate there. Um, I've only worked here for eleven years, um, but uh, but when I did that that show after I had my son, yeah, it's just it's a very tricky time to not be there. Bedtime is kind of sacred, and um, I, yeah. I totally respect her decision. Um, but I can't wait to see what she does because she'll still be gigging, and you know, I'm sure she'll she's she's got a podcast. Like, I think there'll be plenty of Annie Mac. It's just Annie Mac, like the next generation or something. <laughs> I think she said as well, like in the statement she released, that she is planning to go back to radio when the time is right. And I mean, obviously, you play that really great clip of her reasons for leaving. But she also set up, I think, a lot of stuff in her statement about why she loves music radio and mm. the power of music radio. Mm. Even now, because obviously streaming has changed how we listen to music like mm. forever. Mm. But I think Annie Mac was a real example of how radio can sit alongside that. Everything from having the first play of songs to getting interviews that other people don't get. Like, and I, like you know, and she's inspired a lot of people. I mean, yeah. like, there aren't that many women who get the respect and the work that she has, has gotten. And she has made that point yeah. of pushing forward and being an inspiration. Like, I've always found as well, I like that Annie Mack was into music and a music fan, but she wasn't a music snob. And there no. wasn't that kind of derision and that attitude that often came from 
a lot of music radio that put me off it even though I was as obsessed with music as other people it just wasn't quote-unquote cool music yeah so I, I like that she sort of broaden the horizons for some yeah. people who still love radio music so yeah. as you say I can't wait to see what she and I don't next. think you would find a single female Irish radio presenter or a single person working in music in Ireland a woman who hasn't looked up to Annie Mack through their career because she yeah. has really to see her do so well was really encouraging to me personally and I'm sure everyone else and it mm-hmm. has to be said Gemma Bradley is an Irish radio presenter on Radio 1 now she's the host of BBC Music in- Introducing so uh, yes. be- Irish voices are not gone from BBC Radio Go 1 on now Ireland <laughs> Let's talk quickly about Elizabeth Olsen because she talked to Glamour magazine about wanting to change her name when she was growing up. Yeah, so she's on the cover of the new uh, issue of Glamour UK. She's chatting about her career. Obviously, WandaVision has been one of the biggest shows of this year. There is serious Emmy buzz about it. I would not be surprised if she won an Emmy for it. She's incredible in the show. Um, And obviously, her sisters, Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen, were child stars who were on Full House playing, like, two kids playing the one character and then had their own career as kind of twin, like, child celebrities with movies and merch lines and all that kind of thing so she's talking about how um at the age of 10 she started kind of looking into auditioning she was interested she's like oh takes me away from my extracurriculars maybe I don't want to do it but she also said she didn't want to be associated with her sister she's a memory of that and saying I guess I understood what nepotism was at, at 10 so basically she kind of knew that people would already be like mm, well you've got a famous name well so. I have a little clip here so we can have a listen to her Ooh, and her yes. explaining um, there is some sort of association um, of not earning something that I think bothered me at a very young age and had nothing to do with not being proud of what my sisters were doing. It had everything to do with my own insecurities. I did, I did think, I'm just going to be Elizabeth Chase, you know, <laughs> when I become an actress kind of thing. And um, I can't believe I became an actress. It's always funny when you hear people talking about nepotism as though it's a bad thing and you're like, well, honey, <laughs> like... I mean, yes, but like, you know, Hollywood is built on nepotism and doors are opened all the time for the children, yeah. grandchildren, nieces, nephews or whatever of celebrities. So, you know, sure, I'm sure it's annoying, but like at the same time, you've got a great career and I'm sure it didn't hurt you in that respect. I think the thing is like, I think when people like Elizabeth Olsen, who I re- like, cause I really loved her on that show. This is not oh, a shady thing. No, she's a real talent. <clears throat> she's incredible. But mm. like. It's one thing to say, I don't think my name got me this and this job or it helped me get jobs. Like, I can understand that, that ultimately, if you were a terrible actor, having a famous name wouldn't guarantee no. you work. I think the thing that gets lost in this chat, and I, find, I just always find it a bit insulting, is like, if you've got people in your immediate family or close circle who have experience of a very particular business, it does give you an advantage. It doesn't Definitely. mean you will succeed. But like, if you're 10 years old and your older twin sisters have massive experience of Hollywood and also they were a brand before that was the thing that everybody did so like you just have it gives you like an insider track and a sense of knowledge that's actually invaluable and I find sometimes when people play that down I'm like I'm not saying you're not talented, but like you've just you've got information and a backup and understanding that a lot of people don't have when they walk in cold. Do you know what it is Connor? She needs to check her privilege. That's what she needs to do. Okay. All right. We've got lots more to talk about. We are going to talk about Kim Kardashian and Bridgerton. We are going to talk about Gemma Chan and others speaking out against uh, racism in the Sunday Times. It's Mm -hmm. all coming up after this. Louise McSherry on 2FM. That is Villagers on the first day on 2FM, my track of the week this week. And we are back with Connor Behan. We are talking popular culture. Hello, my friend Connor. Hello again. From one Connor to another. There you go. Two Connors in one hour. Two delightful little packages. <laughs> now, uh, let's talk about Kim Kardashian is obsessed with Bridgerton, and Bridgerton apparently is obsessed with Kim Kardashian. 
Yeah, so it kind of turns out she helped inspire some of the show in a way. So, um, Mika Kalkunhuina, obviously an Irish actress who was on the show, has been in Dairy Girls. She tweeted uh, during the week, Has the world's number one Bridgerton stand, does Kim Kardashian know that the Kardashians were a massive inspiration for the Feather- Featheringtons? And we talked about them all the time during our fittings because I feel like she should know this. Kim flew in with a quote tweet and said, What? I'm freaking out. This tweet was sent to me in my Bridgerton group chat, which means you know she's a fan, and asked if she could come to a fitting. Nicola Calcum said, of course, we'd love to have you. Did you know Mr. Pearl made your course there for the Met Gala? And the very next one he made was for mine for Bridgerton. You've been part of the Bridgerton world for longer than you know. So Kim started tweeting about, should I watch Bridgerton? I'd like a good month or two after it got really big and then became obsessed, which I actually appreciate because in the binge watching era, you feel like if you don't watch a show within the first three days, you're late. So I like that Kim is advocating for us latecomers <laughs> to get on board. Um, but she's not alone in being a fan. Obviously, the show has been watched by Gordon to Netflix, 82 million households. It's their biggest ever original show. They're filming season two now and a third and fourth have already been commissioned. So that's how you know this show is uh, doing numbers for Netflix. Oh, and it's it was very enjoyable. I actually didn't watch it. It took me a few months to watch it. I don't know. I watched the first episode right after Christmas, and I just couldn't, it didn't, I don't know, whatever situation my head was in, I, it didn't feel mm-hmm. right for me. And then... I watched it all in like two days <laughs> when, right, when yeah, I watched yeah. it a few months later. I loved it so much. <laughs> it's such an easy watch. It's, it's beautiful to look at. I'm not surprised Kim loves it. But like, I just also love the idea of Nicola Coughlin, who, yes, fine. She's doing absolutely enormous things, obviously. And she's like best friends with JVN. And, you know, she's obviously yeah, top yeah. tier. However, still, at the end of the day, she is a girl from Galway who I'm sure <laughs> was dying over the fact that she was having even this interaction what must it have been like for her the last couple of years I can't even imagine I would love to have like I'd love a proper sit down and be like now no airs or graces no messing I want to know like when have you been starstruck who have you been freaking out over like are you just used to it now are you used to wearing the fancy dresses or is it still mad I want to know all that stuff actually I'm going to see if I can get an interview with Nicola Coughlin. Because <laughs> I, I want to know. <laughs> this is Oprah and Megan all over again. It's the hard-hitting sit-down we all deserve. Oh, 100%. Okay, let's move on. Um, because unfortunately, we have to talk about a story which is less yes. uh, enjoyable. Gemma Chan is among those calling out the Sunday Times. Tell us about this. Yeah, so Gemma Chan, people will know her. She's a, a British actor. She's one of, I suppose, a handful of very well-known <clears throat> Asian stars who have broken through in Hollywood in the last few years as well. She recently joined kind of a... I get, yeah, a campaign and a petition to call it the UK edition of the Sunday Times. You published a front page last weekend, obviously, um, with a piece about the death, the funeral of Prince, Prince Philip with Christina Lamb, the chief foreign correspondent for the paper. She wrote a piece about the Duke of Edinburgh's funeral. She got into kind of what happened, but also made a statement about his kind of quote-unquote gaffes and referred to one of the things he had said about Asian people. Like oh, an over, said, overtly racist thing. A overtly racist thing, and then after we referred to the gap and said, even if we secretly rather enjoy them, having just teed up a very offensive comment on the front page of the paper. The remark was in the print edition, and that got a lot of attention online because people obviously get the Sunday papers and they have it over breakfast or lunch. Mm. We were taking photos and going, What the hell is this? The digital edition was amended. Um, the Guardian kind of tried, the Guardian did report on this where they spoke to the Times editors about what had happened. They were saying it was a reference to something Prince Philip had said in 1986, um, a time when Philip had made racist comments to British university students who were studying Mandarin in China, overshadowing the Queen's state visit to the country. 
Um, so Gemma Chan was one of known people who shared this online and said the fact that this is written by a journalist who should know better, approved by editors and sent to print to trivialise casual racism in the most widely read Sunday broadsheet at a point when the Asian diaspora is experiencing a surge of attacks is deeply irresponsible. We need more people of colour in newsrooms. She had then pointed people to a petition uh, that she had linked to on her Instagram that was set up by East Asian journalists and campaigners. That has over 17,000 signatures and she mentioned the fashion writer Susie Lau. People might know her as Susie Bubbles, one of the original mm. fashion bloggers who had kind of been sharing this petition as well. Yeah, Susie's been doing a lot of work on anti-Asian racism um, over the last number of months. I mean, always, but over the last number of months, mm-hmm. it was like powerful stuff to see. Emma Tucker, the Sunday Times editor, issued a statement to The Guardian apologising. This is what she said. She said, This so-called gaffe made by Prince Philip was a well-known aspect of his life story. The Sunday Times did not intend to condone it. It was noted by us on Saturday night that the sentence was offensive and it was not published in digital editions. I mean, it's a bit late. I think the real problem is that it betrays an attitude which does exist, which is like, you know, oh yeah, I mean, it's racist, but like, you know, we all laugh. And it's like, no, (laughs) no, we don't. And if you are, you need to stop and really think about that because you shouldn't be. And like comedy racism is racism. And that's just it. There's actually nothing funny about it. All that stuff is poisonous. And, you know, there should be no gray area with that in 2021. It's just odd too, because I it's indefensible really and I yeah. think what's frustrating is I feel like the British press in particular has wanted to report on the death of Prince Philip in a measured way where they because you know that when people get to a certain age you know they write obituaries to have ready to go so yeah. I'm sure there was a, there's stock reports have been ready there's been can you go and report in the funeral but make sure you hit the right balance and I think like you have to acknowledge that he has put his foot in it many times over many the years. times the reference the reference like that is being used in the Sunday Times here or was used came from 1986 as the Guardian pointed out so like there is a, a checkered history of him saying like offensive racist stuff and so even just saying gaffes is bad enough like pointing it off as just a joke is one thing but then to literally write on the front page of the paper even if we all secretly agree it's like no like just no. say he made offense he often made offensive comments that in reality were quite racist or you know I just feel like they've been, yeah. they're trying to be balanced in the coverage because he's a member of the royal family and he's died but then in yeah. there's in this weird tone where as you say it's reflecting the mood of newsrooms where they go oh well, it's not that bad or lol we all think it's funny we just wouldn't say it or yeah. you know you can't say anything these days and it's like you can no. say what you want but yeah. then it's just you're gonna be gross you just know? don't be racist like it's, yeah, it's literally that. that simple just don't yeah, be racist <laughs> okay before i let you go talk to me about the oscars yeah, I, I actually can't believe the Oscars are today. I know. I mean, like, well, like two, three, four in the morning our time, really. So technically tomorrow. But they are doing a red carpet. They are giving out awards. Like, it is happening in just in a slightly different pandemic-friendly fashion. So, But there uh, is a red carpet, Connor. Now, let's just cut to the quick. We've all yeah. been desperate for it. We yeah. need the outfits. I need to see the dresses. <laughs> Men have been wearing interesting suits. I would like to see those, too. Just, just give us the outfits. And thank God it's happening. I know because like it's been interesting in a way watching award season adapt to last year just because it's been so different but also it's been crap there's only so many like here I am on my couch in a full couture outfit or I'm in pajamas that I can take it's like we're either in or you're out like we're either doing like no fashion or we have some kind of red carpet so they see this seems to be the first award ceremony where there is some kind of semblance of normality I guess the Grammys is a bit of a, a dry run for this as well so Variety has reported that um 
anyone who attends this year's Oscars won't have to wear a mask on camera when the show is filming. I think during the ad breaks they'll be asked to put them on. There's an audience of just 170 attending and they're going to actually rotate certain audience members in and out of the event to stop too many people being in the room at the same time. There is a red carpet. It's a shorter one. There'll only be three photographers and they're limiting the number of press outlets, although there are outlets from Japan, Canada, the UK, Germany, France, Brazil, lots of countries outside the US there as well. And they're going to be doing kind of virtual press conferences um, with the winners. I know Stephen Byrne is going to be chatting to some of the winners in that context and he's obviously gone to the Oscars in previous years. So it's going to be different, but it probably will be pared back because I think you forget, like even if you talk to Stephen Byrne, who's obviously part of 2FM, about the kind of circus of the press line and how many people are there, it is going to be pared back by Oscar standards, even if there are still going to be people there. Yeah, but they're going to be wearing the dresses, Connor. Like, please, I just retain your focus see. here. That's all that matters. <laughs> fashion is fashion above all. I mean, yeah, Honestly. what are people going to be? Are people going to go full out with the fashion? Because yes, it's I think so. Chance? I think so. And I love that the Oscars were like, because didn't they basically, they basically said, you know, if you're coming, you're coming. Like, you come and, come and do the whole thing. But in America, everyone is like getting vaccinated now. Basically, if you want a vaccine in America, you have it. So undoubtedly, yeah. all of these very well-connected Hollywood people have been vaccinated. And I would say the risk, hopefully, tonight is, is fairly minimal. And I will be absolutely lapping it up. Connor Bean, thank you so, thank so much you. for joining me and uh, Sherpaing us through those pop culture stories. I hope you have a lovely day. We'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks, Emil. Louise McSherry on 2FM.